0: Welcome to episode 293 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us this week. We are in the midst of a a little bit of a good time, I guess, uh, for the Mets in this season. Obviously, this is very conditional, but they've been winning more games than they've been losing, and the young players are contributing nicely, so I was... uh, I was supposed to have our friend Chris McChain on the show, but he had some more important stuff come up, so I reached out to the Amazing Avenue community and got Jack McClune, one of our newer writers. He's a student at Fordham University, and he joined me for the first segment of this podcast. Take a listen. Well, folks, I am joined by first-time Amazing Avenue Audio co-host Jack McClune, and uh, we are going to be talking about a bunch of different Met-related things, but we're going to start off by talking about Monday night's game against the Yankees. Um, even though the Mets are currently winning the game they're playing right now, fourteen to one against Baltimore in the seventh <laughs> inning, it seems like Monday night's win against the Yankees was. If you're the type of baseball play, uh, baseball fan rather who believes in things like momentum and bragging rights and those sorts of uh, amorphous, hard to measure terms, Monday night seemed like a big deal. What was your general general reaction to the Mets? monday night victory over the yankees jack
1: uh first of all i'm happy to be on for the first time i'm always happy to be on podcasts but i think the first thing that i took away from it is i am 100 percent a bragging rights person (laughs) at least when it comes to the yankees okay uh being from central new jersey i know a lot of yankee fans uh i have a lot of cousins who are yankee fans so getting to watch the mets kind of out of nowhere beat the yankees nothing i wasn't exactly expecting uh was a lot of fun to watch i got to Throwing a lot of jabs, especially with uh, Severino not doing too hot. So I was happy in that regard. Uh, I'm always happy to watch that. I'm definitely 100% one of those Mets fans that's really happy when the Yankees lose. So getting to do it is always fun.
0: See, I think the Severino thing makes it really interesting. Because it was billed as the battle of the aces. Mm -hmm. uh, But really only one ace showed up that night. And that was DeGrom. And again, it wasn't DeGrom's best start. He had a couple of balls drop in that maybe... You know, should have been caught, or were just you know, yeah. their babbitt flukiness. But you know, mm-hmm. he struck out twelve.
1: That's what's crazy, right? Is like Degrom didn't have his best night, and he struck out twelve guys. Yeah. That's the that's the level that we have him on now. Is it twelve strikeouts. Like, yeah, I guess he still gave up three runs. Yeah, <laughs> like that were two runs. Like, it seems like it was a problem.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. He's just on on a different level right mm-hmm. now. Um, but what I liked about the game more so than any of the results of the game was i really liked that the mets were doing something that it seemed they did every game during that uh first 12 games of the season where whenever the yankees would add a run the mets would add another one like they would oh, they yeah. wouldn't they wouldn't let them creep back up you score a run we're going to score a run and just kept pushing 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 and obviously part of that is The Mets don't play in the coziest uh, (laughs) ballpark at home, and so to go to a place where the ball carries much, much better is is a nice thing. But those weren't exactly no doubt; those weren't exactly you know scraping the back of the wall home runs. Some of those were no doubters. You know, were really, really just uh, you know hit with authority. So it was it was fun to see the Mets fighting because I feel like that's one thing that. You know, I've watched a lot of bad Mets teams in my 36 Mm -hmm. years on this earth, and uh, one of the things that I really dislike is when the Mets are in that we're just looking so listless and passionless that the games are, are unwatchable phase. And this didn't seem like that at all. This seemed like a team on fire. and. Even if they lose, I'd rather watch that team lose than the other team win.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's funny, too, because there is a lot of maybe too much pressure put on playing against the Yankees. But you do see it with the Mets. You see it in any rivalry game where a team does kind of get up for it. And it was, like you said, true on Monday. There was a lot of Mets fans there on Monday, which was also fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of resounding support for them. But the other thing I liked out of that game was that they won that game on the back of their younger players. Which is something you're always worried about when, like, even talking about the game tonight where they're up on the Orioles, that you're worried about them winning maybe a little bit because, like, oh, well, they're going to cost themselves a good draft pick, which is its own conversation. But if you're winning games because your young guys who are going to be here next year are doing well, you kind of are okay with it. I mean, i Rosario, Brandon Nimmo, and Conforto all homer. They all went, all had two hits. Flores went one for four. McNeil went two for five, drove in a run. Like, I mean, you got all of your young guys performing. You can't. Be too upset about that if that results in a win. I think if you're if you're gonna win, I'm happy. It's not like Jose Reyes is hitting homers late. Right, it's it's your young guys <laughs> are getting you the win.
0: Yeah, and I think just you know, I I would presume that if you're listening to an Amazing Avenue podcast, you're probably a guy who doesn't put a ton of stock or or girl who put a ton of stock into pitcher wins. Yeah. But I think that we recognize that we live in a world with Tim Kirkjian who was. <laughs> Just un unlistenably bad. In that that whole booth was awful. It really was. But Kirkchin is like the worst of the bunch because that's a guy who should know better. He's a journalist. Right. He should know better. And talking about how Degrom wouldn't get the Cy Young vote for him because of the win total. So mm-hmm. when you hear horse shit like that, it, yeah. it makes you it makes you root for uh, outdated statistics because right. you know <laughs> you just you want Degrom to get those couple of wins so that people who who have this myopic view of success can can vote for him for the Cy Young Award. So, like, in my perfect world right now, you know, the Mets are going to lose a bunch more games. They get some good draft picks, but they're going to lose games that are like, you know, 10-9 or, mm-hmm. where, you know, the starters give up no runs and insert useless reliever here who won't right. be a part of the team next year gives up, you know, 10 runs in the bottom of the eighth inning and they lose mm-hmm. that way. I am totally fine with results like that.
1: Right. I mean, I guess I have to, it's almost just like you have to get on board with the Grom, at least getting pitcher wins, just because that's maybe like, unfortunately, the reality of the situation. Like, OK, if he gets to 10, because that's what Felix had. Right. When he won, he had 10 wins. He was like 10 and 13.
0: Yeah. Something, or something
1: like bad. Yeah. So maybe say, OK, get to to 10, get him three more wins, then lose the rest of those. Yeah. And especially that was the other positive, too, was that he has this great start or like great on a normal level. OK for him. On the national stage, which is something you, again, never want to put too much stock in or you wish you didn't have to, but is true and is always going to be true, especially if it's against a team like the Yankees, who even if they weren't this good, like, oh, he pitched really well against the Yankees would always be a positive.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, you mentioned sort of putting too much stock in Mets-Yankees games, and I, I totally understand that. You know, uh, I, I am quite a bit older than you, Jack, and uh, so I, I remember when the Mets playing the Yankees was a novel affair, when it wasn't something that right. happened all the time, and you know, the Subway series in 2000, God, how old were you in 2000?
1: I was three. Oh, Jesus Christ. Or I guess, yeah, I was three. I was in college. Um,
0: <laughs> but you know, I, when uh, <laughs> God damn it! Uh, you know when when that happened, there was this like you know I, I was I was in college in Pittsburgh, so I was around a bunch of people who didn't really care, but they all seemed to hate the Yankees. Right. So there was this like rallying cry of of being a Mets fan, and uh, you know obviously it didn't go so well for the Mets, but but that was sort of the beginning of this. You know, there there was always this sort of unspoken little brother nature of the Mets and the Yankees. Right. But this was mm-hmm. the first time where that was on display, for something other than just the back pages of a newspaper or conversations right. among New York centric baseball fans. Like mm-hmm. this is the first time that the world was seeing the Mets versus the Yankees, and uh, you know, I think I think all of us Mets fans, to some degree or another, have a chip on our shoulder about the Yankees, whether mm-hmm. we want to admit it or not. Whether whether it's the uh, the driving force behind our our sort of local sports viewership or not, all of Mm -hmm. us have a little bit of that rivalry sort of just built into us. Um, So it is always nice to see the Mets win in those games just for bragging rights. But I think also for the Mets as a team, it's always nice because the Yankees still have this just, you know, very, very different reputation around the city. Mm-hmm. And so to to see a young player like a Brandon Nimmo or a uh, you know uh, Jeff McNeil, especially for someone like McNeil who this is their first Subway Series, you know to to see to see the team win like that just gives them a taste of what New York in winning seasons can be like.
1: Yeah, and I mean I blame it being his first Subway Series for McNeil trying to rush that throw to first on the double play that gave up the yes the unearned run. I mean that was a play that I think. In a normal situation, he doesn't try to make, basically like, oh, Yankee Stadium, I could turn a sweet double play, and he jacks it into the stands instead. But I guess my – the other thing in terms of chip on the shoulder with Mets fans is a big part of that is as a Met fan living in the New York area, you know a lot of Yankee fans. Yep. And you kind of don't like knowing Yankee fans, I think. I think a lot of people wanted to win this game, especially with DeGrom on the mound because of all the calls of Yankee fans saying like the Mets owe it to DeGrom to trade him to the Yankees. Yep. They should get him out of there, get him on a winning team, which is such a, like, to generalize Yankee fans, such a typical Yankee fan statement to say that a guy deserves to be on our team, which is in and of itself, like, remove that from the Yankees. Who deserves to be on any team? That's such a bizarre <laughs> statement. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. But it's just, especially when it's a guy going from the Mets to the Yankees. So to get DeGrom to go out there and shove it against the Yankees was funny because you think like, oh yeah you wanted this guy too bad he's not on your team and never will be because at least the will will probably never make that bad decision <laughs> they're not great with the pr but i like to think they wouldn't at least do that
0: we'll see i i don't put anything past the will at this point True. in my life um but I, I sort of got shades you know and again this is not an important game in yeah. mets history in any in <laughs> any real way but i sort yeah. of got the vibes of the uh Harvey's better clap 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 moment against the Nationals yeah. a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we're just it was this this uh, momentum shift between people talked about Strasburg being the best young pitcher in baseball, and then all of a sudden here comes Harvey shoving against him, and it changed the conversation. Obviously, this is a much different scenario than that for a couple right. of reasons, but I got the same sort of Mets bragging rights vibe from it.
1: Yeah, because the back pages love – I think they're the ones that drive the most the little brother. yeah. The back pages of the Post and the Daily News love to make them – they're the ones that basically started the Garden to DeGrom trade rumor off of nothing, just a Photoshop. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I think the fact that – I'm surprised that there were like posts like chants about that. It's like this is the New York Post's fault and we didn't want to do this at all. <laughs> so yeah, to get DeGrom to DeGrom – again, match up with the guy that – there were articles saying that Severino was the better guy because – Writers love comparing players, too, because I mean, there was all this stuff like, oh, well, Ahmed Rosario is going to be a Glaber Torres' shadow, which makes no sense. Like, all this stuff is always coming out. So to get the opportunity to be like, oh, yeah, well, you shouldn't have written this article, but here's why you're wrong in real time.
0: Right, yeah. It was fun. And it was – again, it was on the Nash- – it wasn't just a Subway Series game. It was right. an ESPN Sub- Subway Series game. When they pulled out, you know, uh, for whatever reason, Keith Olbermann to be a, oh, boy. To be a part of that broadcast – um. But you know, Keith Olbermann's a guy with 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 a lot of sort of name recognition and yeah. around you know both sports and politics. So I guess maybe there are people tuning into the game that wouldn't have tuned in mm-hmm. normally. I don't know, but it was certainly one of the more um, one of the more high profile games the Mets have played late yeah. in this season. And so to see them come through in this, play, yeah. <laughs> it was just a really nice thing.
1: Yeah, but that's kind of the biggest fear of the Mets playing on the National stage. this year. it's like, oh my God, please don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass me.
0: <laughs> and they didn't,
1: which was a shock in and of itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a nice, it was a nice surprise. I think we can all agree about that. Um, but let's talk about sort of the the last, you know, week and a half or two weeks of the Mets season. So uh, we were talking before we started recording about how the Mets had a uh, a dreadfully bad last day <laughs> of July. They lost twenty five to four against the Nationals and then they lost the next series they played against the Braves they lost it 3 games to 1 but starting with the Red series and then continuing over to the Marlins series and then the Yankee game and then it appears they're going to win tonight against the uh the Orioles you know, the Mets have not lost two games in a row since that uh I guess since the uh the series with the Braves on the yeah starting with the,
1: starting with that loss to the Nationals they lost four in a row. Yeah, and
0: then after that they haven't lost more than one. They've mm-hmm. lost more than they haven't lost two in a row. They have at least one every other game. And yep. um th- you know, that's not saying much at this point in the season. No, <laughs> it's not. But it seems like you know, Chris and I had talked a while back about how the Mets conceivably could have a better record in the second half than they did in the first half even if they traded away a fair amount of their players, because just the combination of injuries and bad luck was such that you were going to see certain things get better no matter what Mm -hmm. happened. Um, And I'm not saying that's, that's still the case necessarily, but you're seeing McNeil continue to rake. You're seeing, you know, the starting pitching continue to be really good. You're seeing Conforto start to wake up a little bit. You're seeing Nimmo maybe coming out of his slump a tad bit, uh, you're seeing the emergence of Austin Jackson, which nobody saw coming. Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it, just, it just seems to me like the Mets are looking a little bit more lively, a little bit more like the team maybe we hoped they would be earlier in the season. Do you mm-hmm. put any stock in this?
1: A little. I mean, it's nice, like I said, with the Yankees game. It's nice to see the young guys playing well. But then you have to balance that out with, like, are you worried that you're winning too many games? I like what you said, like you'd be happy to blow games late and have guys do well, but I mean I don't put a, a, essentially a lot of stock in them winning per se. I like what you said about that Yankee game where they just came out and they looked like a better team who was more interested mm-hmm. and that's what I've seen a lot of like even in this Orioles game, obviously it's gone out of proportion now, but you have Todd Frazier stealing a base, you have guys hitting triples, like it, it's stuff that doesn't happen when you're slumping and you're not trying very hard, I think, is especially I think triples. I think if you're on a team where you're just like kind of going through the motions, you're going to stop at second base. <laughs> you're just going to be like, that's that's a whole other 90 feet. No, thank you. Right. And so, yeah, it's nice to see them performing better. I, I, I like it from the older guys in the sense that, okay, maybe we can get a waiver trade out of them. Mm-hmm. I still think probably Joey bats goes at some point. He's just been too productive for them not to, it'd be insane if they get any kind of offer for him to not take it. Um, and, yeah, the Austin Jackson thing is blowing my mind. I mean, he's playing his way into a contract next year, whether that's a good idea or not.
0: Right. Um, by the way, the Mets just gave up a run, so forget oh, all the good yep. things we just said. Uh, no, yeah. Uh,
1: but, I mean, look, let's be honest. If a team is going to blow it, it'd be the Mets.
0: Oh, of course they would. They would blow a 14 nothing lead to the worst team in baseball, uh, <laughs> you know, after a reasonably good start. Yeah. That's just, that's just what the Mets do nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, so... Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I put a very little bit of stock in this, but I, I like seeing some of the younger players doing well. I like mm-hmm. the fact that they're giving guys like Tim Peterson an extended look out of the bullpen. Yeah. Because even if I don't necessarily believe in in their stuff, depending on the guy, I just like having more data to work with in the off season. Right. So that's a good thing. I like them giving Plawecki and uh, Meseraco a fair amount of playing time. So that you can again begin to make those sort of decisions if you want to, you know, trade Mesorako if an offer comes through. Mm-hmm. Or I know our friend uh, Allison, who uh, you know, uh, another amazing Avenue writer. Uh, Allison is a big proponent of maybe signing Mesuraco to uh, a, a two-year extension in the offseason. season Just... Which
1: I'm not opposed to either. No, makes I, sense. I think
0: it makes a lot of sense, and, and I think that you know, it's um, it's one of those moves that. Even if it goes poorly, it's not going to be for enough money to Mm -hmm. go that poorly. And if, you know, if if Darno comes back healthy, if Tlecki has an amazing spring training, well, then, you know, you might have to make a, a difficult decision. But I don't think it's that difficult of a decision to make.
1: Right. And I mean, I would like for the Mets to at least have a difficult decision to make at somewhere that isn't the outfield for once. Like, okay, well we have a catching problem now, which is new. At least if they're gonna if they're gonna struggle to pick the right guys, I would like them to do it with someone new for once. <laughs> I'm getting a little sick of the yes, we have seven outfielders and two of them are good, but we have to play a third one because those are the rules. Yeah. Like, like, I get it. Like, okay, we're over that conversation. Let's move on to a new one, at least. Yeah, mix it up. Keep me on my toes for once. <laughs> Let me learn about pitch framing statistics and like have a have to make a cogent argument there. Force me to do something new.
0: <laughs> Instead of just roll your eyes at Jay Bruce.
1: Yes, pretty much. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm so over that. Oh, boy. Yeah. I like to consider myself on the forefront of hating Jay Bruce. I was so I was so mad when they traded for him to begin with. I didn't like it. I thought trading for RBIs was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I got to the point where I had friends who would tweet me every time I hit a home run because I would be in that state of uh happy the Mets got a run but sad because it was Jay Bruce's fault. <laughs>
0: uh the Jose Reyes run. I
1: understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. it's the same exact thing.
0: Yeah. I um I am probably on the lower end of Jay Bruce hate, but you know, it's going to go down as one of the worst uh, free agent signings in the 21st century for the Mets.
1: Yeah, which is hard. It is.
0: It is. <laughs> this is a team that signed DJ Carrasco to a two-year deal, and yeah. that deal looks way smarter than the Jay Bruce, trade, <laughs> uh, Jay Bruce signing right now. So.
1: It doesn't, like, it's never going to approach Jason Bay levels. Oh, I don't know but, about that,
0: dude. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> it might.
0: I think it has a very good chance of approaching Jason Bay
1: levels, (laughs) which is like Jay Bruce should like feel bad that he's being compared to Jason Bay. So here's here's my
0: point. Okay, Jason Bay was not a perfect player. We're all aware of this, but Jason Bay had not started his decline in earnest before he came to the Mets. True, there might have been signs there, but it wasn't like Mm -hmm. nobody thought like Oh, God, the Mets are getting old man Bay." People right. people were, were, were rightly perturbed at the Mets for trading for Jay Bruce when they did because they mm-hmm. understood that he was already on the decline of what was what was already a ballpark driven uh, all star type career. Yeah. You know, so it's it's I don't know. We'll we'll see. But <laughs> but that actually transitions us well into another topic, which is that uh, Bruce is supposed to start rehab games real soon. And that he's mm-hmm. going to be rehabbing at first base. And that him rehabbing at first base is probably, at least for this season, going to keep Peter Alonzo Alonso. He's very sensitive about So versus Zo, apparently. Okay. So, uh, Pete Alonso, uh, probably going to keep him down at Vegas for this season, if not uh, possibly into next year as well. I have lots of thoughts on this, Jack, but let's start with you. What do you think about this potential?
1: Oh, it's absurd. <laughs> I mean, everything about it is wrong. I think I'm, there's the two sides of it. Like obviously, they signed Jay Bruce to this dumb contract, so they're going to want to keep playing, which I guess is fair. Like If you're going to bite the bullet, you have to bite it all the way, Like whatever. But to do it at the expense of a guy who's been hitting the cover off the ball basically his entire minor league career, but especially this year, who the whole talk has been that he plays a bad defensive first base, but then won uh, defense, like, def- the defensive award at first base for the entire Mets organization or Mets minor league system for the month of July. So there goes that excuse. Like if, Even if that is a PR-driven award, you gave it to him, so you decided That's that right. that was yeah. a good decision, yeah. even if it's not true. And just to get this, to not see what you have in this guy. I mean, he's 23. He's always had power. He's a big dude. I mean, what's the only reason to not bring him up is very much just, oh, this is the Mets and we have this guy who I guess we're going to make play first base, who doesn't want to play first base. No. <laughs> he has no real desire. He's said, I think he said it on record that he doesn't like playing first base. But they really need that slow bat that isn't effective in the lineup so i guess they're going to have a play
0: i mean intellectually i the one reason i didn't completely hate the bruce signing in the offseason was i felt it was dom smith insurance because right i am not a, a dom smith believer although i don't know if anybody in the mets organization is anymore either but you know i i felt like the mets needed if they weren't going to sign duda which i was really hoping they would do because yeah He's the good first baseman, and we want him here forever. If they weren't mm-hmm. going to do that, at least they're signing somebody who, when Smith falters, can play a competent first base and might be able to hit you 20 or 25 home runs. So I mm-hmm. understand the, the thinking from that perspective. What I continue to not understand, though, is if, Bruce is, if Bruce's plantar fasciitis is as serious as it has been made to, to seem then why not just give him the... The season's lost anyway. Yeah, Let him fully heal up, bring him back at spring. If he wants to work out in St. Lucie, awesome, go for it. But you have a chance, like you were saying, to get a real look at Alonso. You're you're able to give him 100 plate appearances between now and the end of the season if you want to, and really mm-hmm. begin to get an understanding of who this guy is. And then that might make your decision a lot easier for next year, because if he comes up and he can't hit the, the breaking ball... Well, you know that that will slow his uh, his advancement. If he comes up and he's hitting the cover off the ball, it's going to make your decision easier in that way too. It takes so much guesswork out, and it costs you almost nothing.
1: Yeah, and there's it's two ways where the Mets are hurting themselves too. Because on the one hand, this seems to be their Achilles heel of bringing back guys when it doesn't matter. Yep. Uh, whether it was Syndergaard and Familia last year or. Whatever it is, they do this over and over again, trying to bring Cespedes back in a lost season before he got his surgery. Like, they do this over and over again, so why bring back Bruce for a season that clearly doesn't matter? But then, on the other hand of it, too, is, like you said, it makes your decision easier. And if it That's the easiest decision they could justify keeping him down so well. If they don't think he's ready, bring him up for 100 at-bats, show he isn't ready, and you'll get the fans off your back. Yep. Like at least do that for yourself. I mean, it's an easy PR decision. Like I guess it makes it harder if he does pan out, but if you're so confident that he won't, bring him up for 100 at bats, which is its own weird way to think about your prospects. Like I don't think he's ready yet, so I just like won't prove it. Like why not have him come up for, like you said, 100 at bats and make the decision hard or easy either way.
0: And look, I I understand that you want to get guys like Wilmer Flores playing time. Over the course I'm a, of, the of the season.
1: The I, biggest I, Wilmer Flores fan in the world. So, yes, I agree. All,
0: all of us are. I, everybody believes <laughs> yeah. that they're the biggest Wilmer Flores fan in the world. That's fair. Uh, but I, I, I'm not doubting your bona fides. I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's what we all think. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good point. Uh, but, you know, like, so you know, like, I understand that you, you, you want him to play more, and you also want McNeil to play every day, and you want to see that Fraser isn't a totally sunk cost at third base, and mm-hmm. you're not going to give. Uh, you're not going to anybody that's not named Rosario real-time is shortstop, even though they sometimes give Jose Reyes time there, which, you know.
1: Yeah, that's really smart.
0: Older story. But, you know, like, you can you can cut bait with Reyes or have Reyes ride the pine the rest of the season. That's not going to matter at all. There are ways to get all those other players playing time while still having Alonso play four out of five days at first base.
1: Yeah, and in reality, Reyes – oh, not Reyes. Absolutely not Reyes. Flores can be – he's shown he can at least semi-handle most of the positions on the infield. Yeah, I mean, he came out, He can't do shortstop anymore. I think that's pretty much out of the question, but he does it okay at third. I mean, they've always said that his best position is second, and then he's had some really rough moments at first base that have made you a little disheartened, uh, especially with pop-ups. He just can't seem to handle them, but... I mean, if he's a below-average defender but can be semi-competent at all three positions, make him your super utility guy. I mean, he hasn't played enough of the other infield positions this year, I think. They kind of stuck him at first base out of kind of necessity, but I think once they hopefully bring Alonso up or they do settle on Bruce at first, it shouldn't cut into his playing time as much because while they think Jose Reyes is a super utility guy, they have a guy in Reyes. Or it, I keep doing it. It's a really bad Freudian slip. Yeah. I don't like doing that at all. But I think Flores could be that guy for them who would be much more competent. Oh, absolutely! Right, it's all over the field. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and, and, and Flores that... has proven himself to be a good pinch hitter too. Yeah, and maybe not this season as much, but that's that's a skill that he has. So, yeah, yeah. I'm with you, man. This is this makes no sense to me. Um, no. So, you know, I kind of been asking. We've had sort of a rotating cast of co-hosts lately on the show, so I've been kind of asking a similar question. It's your turn now. Um if you were given the keys to the team for the rest of the season what would you do with the team to try and maximize whatever it is you want to maximize if it's looks at young players if it's trying to maximize wins for whatever reason how would you run the team for the last you know uh 6 6 to 7 weeks of the, of the season
1: well, I think Alonso definitely comes up immediately. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. I don't think you think you throw all this service time stuff out the window, too, because, like, what do you... That, like, in and of itself feels dirty to talk about, but also it's, like, something weird to do with a guy who you're not sure about. Right. So I think he comes up immediately, and I think now having thought out loud about Wilmer Flores, super utility man, that's what he goes into and you fire Reyes into the sun immediately. <laughs> so you get that dead weight off your bench and figure that out. Um, and then I... Otherwise, I mean, I guess you stop playing Jose Bautista at third base because that was a weird thing that happened today also. Unless you really have to if you're giving Todd Frazier a day off, but with Wilmer Flores, you shouldn't have to anymore.
0: Um, Unless you're trying to convince other teams that the Braves were wrong and Bautista can play third base, but I'm I'm with you.
1: And he can a little bit, but I think at this point, I don't know if you do it anymore just because I I guess, yeah, you try to get someone to bite, but by, by the end of August he's still on the team. You don't you don't do it anymore and i think i guess the only other reason to do it is because you kind of want his bat in the lineup and i think Austin Jackson should play center field the rest of the way unless they mix in Nimmo some more to see if they have it with him right so maybe they don't have to maybe they don't have to sign him next year if they think Nimmo is a competent enough center fielder for until Legar gets back if he's ever the same again i mean it feels like every year with him where you're like ah oh, he's finally getting it back together after his last injury and then he goes down with some fluke thing again
0: What's especially hard about the Austin Jackson, Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto situation is that all of us know what the best case scenario here is, which is mm-hmm. that Nimmo shows that he is a competent center fielder. Yeah. And that that really simplifies everything. Yeah. Because if Nimmo is your, is your, even if he's your four out of six days a week center fielder, that simplifies the outfield situation so much for next year. Right. But if you if you really don't believe that either Conforto nor Nimmo can play center field every day, then you're really in trouble because Cespedes is coming back at some point next season. We hope, mm-hmm. God, we hope. Um, yeah, Oh, man. And you know you you you, you have you have then because <laughs> Lagaris will be will be healthy. <laughs> so you have Lagaris, Conforto, Nimmo, Cespedes, Bruce. And possibly insert Austin Jackson or Jose Bautista here mm-hmm. to, to find playing time for. And that's just not, not going to work out for you. I don't know what to and tell what's you.
1: It, yeah. And what's annoying about all the stopgap moves, too, and all these weird signings is that it, while you would like to think about the Mets, like the, in a perfect world, they'd spend more money on free agents. But they're at a point where it's almost dumb because they're not going to cut weight with these guys. Like you'd love to say, oh, we're just gonna go out and get Harper because we can because we're a large market team. Like even though the Pons would never do that, right. but they're like, oh well, we're already locked into Jay Bruce and like we are not gonna cut that and have dead money. Like there's all this you know, these dumb signings preclude them from making smarter ones. Right,
0: I I still hold out the the fa- the faintest bit of hope that the Wilpons could be convinced convinced. To listen to to listen to reasons why Manny Machado makes sense. That'd be so. Wonderful. I don't think they're ever gonna do it, but I no. think that that there's enough logic in the signing that even the Willpons could be slightly convinced of the merit of the signing. Um,
1: but that. They- Yeah, I mean, that would become what becomes the conversation of, well, he really wants to play shortstop, so we're going to have to displace Ahmed Rosario, who they want to play center field, so maybe they'll just do that instead. Because they they really love playing guys out of position in center, why not just move a guy from the infield out there?
0: That would be the most unbelievably Mets move possible.
1: They make a super positive by signing Machado, but throw Ahmed Rosario in center field.
0: And like, look, I I am the world's biggest, I mean, again, I I think we all love Rosario. Yeah, uh, very very much, but if it's Machado versus Rosario, oh yeah, you take Machado. I mean, especially because you know Frazier is not a long term plan at third base. Yeah, so you you sign Machado, you trade Frazier, you give McNeil reps at third, or you make Flores yeah. your everyday third baseman. You do, you do something.
1: Yeah, you figure it out. You you make that the rest of those decisions harder for a guy like Machado.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Wilmer Flores being a bad first baseman, he just made one of the worst throws you'll ever see a first baseman make. <laughs> Love
1: to hear it. it. It it hurts me. Oh, here it is. I guess my stream was behind. Okay. Oh, boy. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, that'll do it. You you throw to the bag, Wilmer, not to the pitcher. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I haven't played baseball since fourth grade. I'm aware of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of first base very poorly, so I've done that before. <laughs> um. So, yeah, no, that's that's... Not the right – oh, boy. Yeah, he does not play good first base. No, he's not.
0: Um, but, yeah, you know – But
1: even when he was playing short every day, he figured it out eventually. I mean, he was making all those throwing errors, and it was like a, it was something so simple that I saw where he just was crossing his legs. But then the second half of the season, he made, like, what, one throwing error the rest of the year? Yeah. He figured it out eventually, and I think he's a guy that needs everyday reps. Yes. Uh, he's figured it out this season once he's been playing every day. He's had some of his better numbers of his career, his splits have evened out. He's done pretty well. The power isn't completely there, but he could still get to the 16 he hit last year. I mean, he's played pretty well offensively.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tim Peterson is making his case to not be on the team next year. By the way.
1: Yeah. So much for a leader.son It's fine. <laughs> he can join the rotunda of guys who have no business being on the Mets. That's true.
0: Yeah. Um, but so, hey, okay, so, so again, you're you're in charge of the Mets here. You bring up uh, you bring up Alonso, you uh, you're playing Reyes never.
1: Yeah. Um, oh God, Reyes is gone.
0: Any uh, any particularly inspired pitching decisions?
1: I would love to cut bait with Vargas, but I don't think you can at this point. I want to see Vargas in the bullpen. i just for like laps and to see if maybe you can scrounge some kind of value out of him that way. And, I mean, like, he can't be any worse than a lot of the guys they have out there right now and start Oswald every day or every fifth turn. I mean, he should be out there more often than anybody else. Yep. I'd rather have him than – I mean, I, I was just listening to your episode from last week, so maybe that's kind of imprinted on my brain a little <laughs> bit, and I'm stealing this one. But, I mean, I'd rather have him. I think, like, what you guys said last week is right. You just, it's again it goes in the same theme of this. I'd rather see what I have with him than what you know you have in Vargas. Right. And I'd rather, they, even that's learning something new, if, if see if Vargas can do it out of the bullpen.
0: Yeah, at the end of this season, you'll have nothing to lose by trying that.
1: Yeah. And maybe Hipster Vargas will bring a cool vibe to the bullpen. <laughs> they could use some personality out there oh, without God a familia. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bring, bring a new face to the bullpen, and it's Jerry Blevins being weird and Hipster Vargas.
0: Yeah. Um, what about, uh, how would you manage outfield playing time for the four outfielders that are currently on the
1: roster? I guess Bautista gets the least. I would like to mix, and I think the days that he plays are days that Jackson sits and you put Nemo out there. Mm-hmm. You click in Fordo every day. I think with him being in that slump he was in the first half of the season, it's really important for him to keep playing a lot. And I don't, I think the Mets at least understand that, that he's going to be playing every day. He needs. He's a guy that looks like he needs to play through slumps, and he has. At the second half, he's been great. So far it looks like he's kind of turned it around. So I think he still plays out there and I think you give up on him in center field, but I think Nimmo gets two, three, four times at center field a week, hopefully at least two. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, yeah, Tim Peterson, goodbye. Yep. <laughs> That'll do it. Another homer to right field. I knew that your stream
0: was slow, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> but I muted my mic and said shit and then turned the mute back on. So uh it's
1: N V R. Oh God.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. It's. I think that's very wise. I, I think first of all, you know, we talked about Austin Jackson a little bit last week, but this guy is playing the, some of the best baseball of his career right <laughs>
1: now, which just makes no sense. And, when you're on your last legs, I think I get it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he was supposed to be the next Curtis Granderson. Yes. I moonlighted as a Tigers fan for a while, so I was very in on Austin Jackson. And so, I
0: mean, do you? Is there any part of you that thinks this is for real?
1: Not to the level it is, but I think he could be useful in the latter half of his career. I think he's kind of figured out. He's, ah, well, he's striking out a lot. Oh God, I just looked at a thirty percent of his at bats yeah. are strikeouts. That's not good. So maybe not. <laughs> I was I was kind of about it for a second, but maybe not. His BABIP's over five hundred, so no. I guess not at all. Um, I think he's worth a, a veteran minimum contract. Yeah. Next year, if you, I mean, he's he's a fine fourth outfielder. He plays a competent center field, and if he's a guy that I wouldn't be upset, at least right now, if if Lovarov gets hurt again next year, whatever it is, that he has to play a little more often than I'd like. I'd rather it be him. I mean, Jose Bautista at this point is a ticking time bomb kind of deal. I don't think I'd want him. I'd rather have a younger guy than someone who's going to be, what, 38? Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm willing to like just move on from that immediately if I have to.
0: And look, uh, we've said this in the past, but I think it bears repeating. The fact that the Mets got anything out of Bautista is a minor oh, miracle. Oh, yeah.
1: I love it. I mean, I, I'm happy that he's – I mean, he's a guy that, as, again, as someone who's always hated the Yankees i loved loves Jose Bautista. Yeah. I got to watch him beat the Yankees in person on a 10th inning home run. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, sitting with the bleacher creatures, it was one of the more wild nights of my life as a <laughs> baseball fan. But – so yeah getting to see him do be useful uh it's fun he's always been a fun player and once his bat kind of came around he started cranking a couple vintage joey homers like he did against the yankees i mean yes please
0: yeah he seems like a good enough guy you know yeah it's it's good for him yeah
1: he's very much a guy that is 100 if you if he's not on your team you hate him but if he's on your team he's probably your favorite guy in the world yeah that's the sense i get from him
0: yeah that's a pretty fair assessment um you know, I, uh, I'm i trying to think if there's anything else that I want to ask you about in terms of if you were, if you were running the team for the last, you know, six, eight weeks, whatever it is. Um,
1: I don't know. Jay Bruce doesn't come back. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and not and not for reasons of me hating him. I think, like we were talking about, I think it's dumb if he's this hurt and he's got these issues. I don't think it's worth pushing him to come back. I'm sure he wants to come back, but I say, no, go play in St. Lucie for the rest of the year. We'll, like, make it up to you with money if that's the his big reason but figure it out with him i don't think it's worth it if you're gonna if you're committed to him it's not worth bringing him up for these games that you want to lose kind of right so you don't like you're hoping for him to play well but you don't want to win any games so he it'd be better off if he played well in the minor somewhere
0: unless you really believe that he needs major league reps at first base because he's going to be your major league first baseman for, which is fair for 140 games of next season unless that's Unless you're planning on playing him that much at first base next year, I can't yeah. see any reason to bring him back this year.
1: Yeah, which I guess is what they're doing, and that must be their thought at this point, is that we have they have no other option except for playing Jay Bruce at first base, which is, oh God, this team is so poorly run.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> th- there's a part of me that thinks that the Mets have never really mastered the whole trading a prospect thing. No. And so maybe if... If they you know, they gave Alonzo this uh this you know defensive player of the organization whatever award to fleece some team into trading oh God, that'd him. be
1: incredible it, I would never trust them to do it no, that'd be no I
0: mean you know um, you know this is the team that rejected straight up lastings millage for many Ramirez
1: <laughs>
0: remember that folks <laughs> uh,
1: hey but he's I know, that's Valdez. You know, he's killing it in Indie but no, he's not even doing that. No,
0: I don't think he's even doing that where anymore. Where's my
1: last things these days? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder know he where, where he's at, at.
0: He was playing in Korea for a while, I know.
1: I think he's still out there. Oh,
0: Japan. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Japan. I believe he was playing in Japan. Well, he might have played in the Korean League also. I'm, I don't know. He's he, <laughs> he, he's releasing his, his mixtapes, and he's doing...
1: He's currently on the Lancaster Barnstormers of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. Wow. Oh boy, that was oh no, that was in 2017. He's retired. Oh, Oh, sorry, last things. Yeah,
0: we hardly knew ye. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you know, uh, so if the Mets feel like keeping Alonso down is bolstering him as a potential trade chip, first of all, you better be damn sure that Bruce is your first baseman for the next two seasons. Yeah, you really, or that you believe that Dom Smith has taken some magic elixir some brand and nerve tonic and that he's going to be you know the second coming of of uh, keith hernandez unless unless you believe that trading alonso seems totally foolish to me
1: yeah especially because they're not going to get something good for him right regardless of whether they really uh, increase his value or not i think too while you maybe have given him this uh defensive player of the month award at the same time you still don't think he's good enough to be called up right so that's going to be a red flag for a team, too. I mean, there's the double-edged sword there. Like, oh, we're keeping him kind of a mystery in the majors, but you don't even think he's good enough, it looks like. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that would be incredible if they turned him into someone for real. I mean, it would hurt because then it's, oh, well, if we have Bruce every day, but they turn him into someone real. I don't know who is ever looking for first-base prospects because that's just kind of where you shove guys who aren't very good and are slow. Right. I mean, like I i forget who it was, but there was a really good piece about the draft. It must've been Michael Bauman about how drafting a first baseman is basically a waste of time Yeah, because you can, that's where you kind of send guys. It's like,
0: it's like drafting a relief pitcher to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. It's, it's a, a fielding relief pitcher basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but you know, Hey, the Mets <laughs> are going to Mets, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, is there are there any sort of arbitrary goals you've set for the team for the last few months of the season, the last few weeks of the season? Anything you want to see them do aside from hit yet another dinger? Oh, I'm sorry, you're you're behind on the feed.
1: <laughs> oh no, I'm behind it again. Is Wilmer gonna hit one? He just did, yeah. Yes, love that. I also have to keep my phone face down because I get the uh, alerts. Okay, <laughs> it's a it's a big. Play, it's like a horrible game with me. I can't have the Amazing Avenue slack open half the time. <laughs> I always have these late streams because I don't get the real S&Y. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be, yeah, it would be Wilmer playing well. Um, but I think it's also, I would like them to maybe only win-win to Grom pitches. Okay. <laughs> but like the rest of the games are their fighting chances. And it's like, like you said, like an anonymous bullpen pitcher's fault. Yeah. Wow, that was a high pitch. I'm surprised he got around like yeah. that. I would, um, I would yeah.
0: be willing to sacrifice Tim Peterson to the ERA gods Oh yeah. just like let him mop up every single game.
1: I mean, he's going to do it anyway. Exactly. So I might as well just like make it worthwhile. How, <laughs> he's going to blow them all anyway. How
0: great of a move would that be if they just said, okay, we're making an official announcement here. Uh, every game for the rest of the season, Tim Peterson enters in the top of the seventh inning. I want
1: Joey Bat's pitching. I've heard rumors. That's what I want to see. I need Joey pitches. Okay, That would be the other thing. Because we've seen Jose do it, and if Jose Reyes gets to do it, I want to get to see Joey bats on the mound.
0: That would be fun.
1: <laughs> I want every meth position player to get a chance to pitch this season. I don't see why not. <laughs> that would be a very fun goal for me. They would never do it because that is just the sign of a team who's given up. But that would be very fun for me, personally.
0: Yeah. There's this, like, <laughs> unfortunate sort of... Um... I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is like, but it, I feel like sometimes baseball is the least fun sport there is. Oh yeah. Because everyone's just so concerned with unwritten rules and how things look and, yeah. and not even how things look like in a business optics standpoint, just like you don't show up the pitcher, you don't do this, this, or this. Right. And so it would be so fun if there was a game in <laughs> September, like, Cindergard's supposed to start, but he has an ingrown toenail, so he's not going to start. And they just <laughs> announce starting pitcher uh, Jose Batista.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Tigers did that last year with a Romine, uh-huh. played every position in a major league baseball game. Yep. He did a Will Ferrell, yep. <laughs> but in a major league September baseball game, he played every position, which I guess you have to be that bad. Like that's something I think you can get away with if you're last year's Tigers or maybe this year's Orioles, but I don't know if the Mets could do it. I also just I think like, that gets some pretty severe blowback.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like between the uh, between all the various, you know, uh, newspapers and media sources in New York City, you can't you can't do that because there's always somebody to be critical whereas if yeah. you're in a city with one or Oh,
1: Francesca would
0: hate it. Exactly, yeah. You know, <laughs> like you know, I I went to college in Pittsburgh and there at the time I was there there were two daily newspapers in Pittsburgh. I believe they're down to one daily newspaper in Pittsburgh. Like, yeah, they merged. Yeah. So like you know, if you are if you're the guy who writes about baseball for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and you have a sense of humor about it, you can write a cute story about you know, uh insert pirate here playing online positions. If you Mm -hmm. have, Mm. if you're trying to do that in New York where you have no less than five legitimate daily papers covering you every single day, you know, you just, you can't do that.
1: Everyone's favorite Bergen record reporter reporter would uh, have a fit.
0: Yes, he would. (laughs) would. (laughs) I think Tim
1: Britton would have fun with it. That's about the only guy who I could trust to really think it was funny.
0: Yeah. If Mark Kerrig was still on the beat, yeah. Kerrig would find it funny. Um,
1: the athletic crew has a sense of humor about them. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Look, you're a Mets. You're covering the Mets. You gotta have a sense of humor. Yeah, about yeah, it, right? yeah. If you
1: don't, what are you doing? Pick a different team, please, or get out of the line of business. Yeah. Uh,
0: and I guess the, the last thing we should talk about, just because I, I like to keep this topic coming up, because I, I really can't believe it's still a topic, is the reemergence of Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Uh, again, he only went five innings tonight, but. Give up one earned run he's he's looked pretty good so far you know he's uh do do you think that this is for real possibly
1: yeah with him I think it's for real I mean I uh had the misfortune of seeing his first game back last year when he pitched against the Marlins and Y.E. Chen and it was miserable and like this is the worst opportunity for someone to make a comeback ever and he pitched just okay but so to be able to see him even to come from that to being basically himself again this year I mean it's been great to watch him Get the velocity back. He didn't have the control of his breaking ball today, which has kind of been what's eluded him for even this season. He's missed it at some points. But, I mean, he's looked like himself again, which is just – it's good. To, I mean, you always want to see that with guys who get hurt. I mean, you, you're obviously never rooting for guys to stay hurt, but especially when they're on your team, to see someone that you've came up and he was supposed to be this part of this big five rotation. And he was – maybe the he was the one that got hurt first. Yeah, I mean that was the saddest. Like he was never really a part of it. He's always the ancillary guy that you kind of forgot about because he was gone for so long. And so to keep, see him come up and be of the like outside of the Degrom synegar duo, the last man standing of those three, and it looks like with Matts having his issues, even when he's healthy, it's been, it's been good to see. I think it is for real. I mean, he's like he did tonight. He didn't look particularly great. I mean, it was against the Orioles, but he only had three strikeouts worth of stuff got out of jams, he worked really well around stuff. And he, that's the thing you need out of a, a top-flight starter is a guy who can go out, and when he doesn't have his best stuff, still figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I also think that, in a way, Zach Wheeler is the last of a certain breed. I don't think we ever, unless the game really changes in ways that I can't predict, I don't think we ever see... Three months of Carlos Beltran getting Zach Wheeler ever again. No, those sort of trades just don't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, and that's another thing too. That's another good bit of it. Like, well, we—I mean, obviously it was Carl. It was an expiring contract kind of deal, but to know that that trade worked out—that we got someone worthwhile in Zach Wheeler. Yeah, is it? It's comforting, I guess, to know that that's Like, okay, yes, this, this wasn't a problem. This was a this good trade. It worked out. We traded for a prospect, and he's panning out.
0: Yeah, I I think the the last couple of seasons will dim people's appreciation of of what um, what sort of the early half of the Sandy Alderson era looked like for the Mets. Yeah, when, when you when you think about the fact that if it wasn't for Alderson, we wouldn't have Cindergaard or Wheeler in the rotation right now. Just you know, they, they, they came from other they came from trades that were that were masterfully pulled off. When you think about even even Jay Bruce, right? Jay Bruce essentially came from Dilson Herrera, who yeah. came from uh oh, Buck.
1: We were just talking about from, this. From, from uh, buck, what was it?
0: From, from from Buck. Um
1: Yeah, it was the Buck and the Oh what was it I'm gonna find it maybe
0: yeah, it was the buck and the uh shit anyway just like even you know <laughs> when you think about all the all the trades that Alderson made early on in his tenure that led to the roster that went to the playoffs two years in a row even if Bruce was only part of the second time you know like
1: it was it was John Buck and Marlin yep,
0: there we go. And I was talking I, I was talking to Chris the other day minute. about how we used to do a segment on the podcast I'm trying to bring back called Forgotten Mets and I was mm-hmm. inspired to do a Forgotten Mets cuz I I remembered that Nori Aoki was a Met last year and I oh, totally yeah. forgot that. And like Marlon <laughs> Bird's another guy who was a Met for a while I totally forgot he was a Met.
1: Yeah. You know. And he was like semi-competent. Yeah, that, they turned him into a Pilsen Herrera.
0: Exactly. That was one of that was one of those things where Alderson found a guy who was on the scrap heap, who then wound up producing for them.
1: I mean, and even the Cespedes trade wasn't a total fleecing. I mean, Fulmers turned out to be, yeah, that one really good season that had struggled with injuries. But, I mean, they turned it into a really solid guy. Absolutely. And they pushed him over the edge. Yeah. And, I mean, that that Blue Jays trade to this day was one of the more masterful things you could ever see. I mean. Turn a knuckleballer into Noah Syndergaard.
0: Yeah. And, and, again, a knuckleballer signed to a minor league deal without an invite to spring training.
1: Yeah, like, and who who famously has no UCL.
0: Right, exactly. And, and look, I would sign Ari Dickey tomorrow to pitch for the Mets. Yeah. I am I am a Dickey apologist through and through. <laughs> uh, I think I told the story on the podcast before. I went to a taping of The Daily Show a number of years ago when Jon Stewart was still there, and it was when the Mets were terrible, and somebody heckled him about it. And he said, like, sure, the Yankees have uh, CeCe Sabathia, but we have. And I said, Ari Dickey! <laughs> like and he, he reacted <laughs> to me and saying, and that's pre Cy Young Dickey, you know, that's uh, yeah. you know, so R.A. Dickey is a wonderful story, but you know, you, you'd make that trade every day. Yeah. Again, Buck came from that trade, which, right. which, which, you know, is just, it's, it's, yeah. 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 Uh, and all we had to do was give up uh, Mike DeFelice and uh, <laughs> who was the other catcher in that trade?
1: Oh,
0: uh, it was Josh Tolley. Was it Tolle? Yeah, was Okay, sure. Dicky Tolley, and Nickias. it was It wasn't DeFelice, Felice. It was Mike Nickyus. Sorry, I'm yeah. getting my shitty third string catchers <laughs> confused.
1: Tolley was Dicky's personal catcher, right? Was, was that yes. part of that? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So we had no use for him anyway.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Jack, this has been fun. I hope this is the first of many appearances on the podcast.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of fun. It's easy to talk about the Mets when they give you so much fodder.
0: Exactly. When, when they're <laughs> winning 16-5 to 5 against a truly yeah. hor- horrible, horrible team.
1: It's bad that they gave up five runs. It, it is.
0: <laughs> but, you know, you can put most of that on Tim Peterson. So.
1: Yep. Oh, well. Sorry, Tim.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you're a nice guy.
1: You'll always be a sin in our hearts, despite the fact that you do on the field.
2: any listeners. Allison McCaig here with another installment of the DeGrometer and the Mnemometer, where we follow two of our favorite Mets, Jacob DeGrom and Brandon Nimmo. Um, I was out on vacation last week, so I have uh, two weeks worth of stats piled up to give you guys um, as we follow um, Jacob DeGrom's quest for the Cy Young um, and Brandon Nimmo's fantastic breakout season. Um, so we'll start with DeGrom. Um, uh, his last three starts, uh, the earliest one was against uh, the Braves on August 3rd, um, and he threw uh, eight brilliant innings, uh, gave up six hits, only two runs, uh, one walk, and he struck out nine. Um, but he took the loss because the Mets only scored one run off Annabelle Sanchez, driven in by DeGrom himself, and were held scoreless for three innings by the Braves' bullpen, and they lost 2-1. to one. Um, at this point, Degrom fell two games under five hundred to five and seven. Um, and at one point uh, in the broadcast, Gary Cohen said, "It's the same story every single." time and he's absolutely right Um, this was a string of starts in which deGrom was fantastic and was either taking no decisions or losses and the frustration was probably piling up on all counts Um, but the next two starts after that changed the narrative a little bit deGrom finally got some run support and two wins in a row Um, so last Wednesday versus the Reds um, he pitched six shutout innings giving up only four hits and one walk striking out 10 Reds um, and the Mets' offense exploded for eight runs, and Lugo, Blevins, and uh, Gazelman combined to keep the shutout intact, and the Mets won 8 to nothing, earning DeGrom his first win since June the 18th. Um, But then DeGrom pitched again on Monday in a makeup game against the Yankees and was brilliant yet again. Um, The game looked like it might have gone the route of DeGrom's previous starts. His defense let him down a little bit, but every time the Yankees scored, the Mets managed to strike back, and it was a really nice, feel-good win for the Mets. Um, All told, DeGrom threw six and two-thirds innings. He gave up three runs, but only two of those were earned. Um, On five hits, walking two and striking out an impressive dozen Yankees, Um, and that's quite a lot. Up even without Aaron Judge to strike out a dozen guys, um, the Mets beat the Yankees eight to five, and Degrom found himself back at 500 uh, for the season. Um, even though Mets fans have been on the Cy Young Award watch when it comes to Degrom for quite some time, I feel like he hasn't really entered the national conversation until now. Um, it's unfair, but this is likely because he pitched so brilliantly against the Yankees on national television that people are finally starting to take him seriously, despite his win totals. Now seemingly endless articles and TV segments are wondering, can DeGrom win the Cy Young with so few wins? Um, I mean, Felix Hernandez did it, um, but A, he still had more wins than DeGrom is probably going to end up with, Um, and B, there weren't really pitchers um, in his league-pitching almost as well as him that year with more wins like there are this year in Max Scherzer and Aaron Nola. Um, but I'm going to take a look at, um, I'm going to guide you through how things stack up for those three guys, DeGrom, Scherzer, and Nola, since to me, it's really a three man race at this point for the NL Cy Young. Um, so let's take a look at the major pitching categories. Um, so obviously we've already been over the fact that DeGrom doesn't have as many wins as the other two. He has seven. Scherzer has 15 and Nola has 13 wins. Um, Innings pitched, Scherzer has the edge um, because Degrom did miss that one start this year with that hyperextended elbow, and then after when he came back, he threw just one inning, or I think even less than an inning, um, in that first start when he came back from it. Um, so, but I think Scherzer hasn't missed any of his starts that I can recall. So, Scherzer's pitched 168 and two thirds innings, Degrom's pitched 159 innings, and Nola's pitched 154 innings. Um, ERA, we all know, Degrom has the edge there. He has a 1.8. 1 ERA, which leads to the NL. Um, Scherzer has a 2.19 ERA, and Nola has a 2.28 ERA. Um, Scherzer strikes out more guys than the other two. DeGrom and Scherzer, actually, in general, strike out more guys than most of the rest of the league. Nola's at a pretty average 8.71, but Scherzer is at 12.11 Ks per nine, and DeGrom is at 11.04. Um, but Scherzer does walk more guys than DeGrom by a small margin. DeGrom has 2.04 walks per nine innings, Scherzer has 2.13, and Nola has 2.51. Scherzer is also more um, prone to the home run ball than the other two. Um, DeGrom and Nola have an absurd... 0.45 0.45 home runs per nine and 0.47 home runs per nine respectively and scherzer has a z- 0.91 home runs per nine innings um as far as whip scherzer has the edge um, because he strikes out a lot of guys he hasn't allowed a lot of hits um so he has a 0.88 whip whereas de has a 0.97 whip and nola has a 1.00 Um, but deGrom has the edge in FIP um, which adjusts for fielding Um, obviously the Mets have terrible defense, we all know this Uh, so uh, when you take FIP into account, deGrom has a 2.13 there and Scherzer has a 2.63 and Nola has a 2.82 and ERA plus, which adjusts for ballpark, um, in that regard deGrom is also ahead Um, he has a 2.08 ERA plus Scherzer has a 195, and Nola has a 183. Um, as far as war goes, baseball reference war, um, DeGrom has a 7.1, Scherzer has a 7.0 and Nola has a 7.4. So he's actually ahead of the other two in baseball reference war, although it's really tight um, in that category. Um, Fangraph's war, um, DeGrom is ahead of the other two and it's not quite as close. Um, DeGrom has a 6.2 uh, war, Scherzer has 5.6 and Nola has 4.7. Um, a small note, uh, as far as baseball reference war goes, um, DeGrom's baseball reference war has been fluctuating like crazy this season. If you check the, um, the leaderboards regularly, as I do, (laughs) keeping an eye on the Cy Young race, um, it's been fluctuating a lot, um, seemingly due to their, um, park factor adjustments, which may be a bit wonky this season, whereas Fangraphs War has been a little bit more constant. I'm not saying that Fangraphs War is better or more accurate, but it's just something to keep in mind that b has been a little bit weird this year, um, so all told, um, just to summarize what I've just told you, um, DeGrom has the edge in six of those categories that I talked about. Um, ERA, walks per nine innings, home runs per nine innings, FIP, ERA+, and FR. Um Whereas Scherzer has the edge in wins, innings pitched, uh, strikeouts per nine innings, and whip. So basically, Scherzer strikes out more guys than DeGrom, he's pitched more innings, and he's won more games, but DeGrom has been overall, in my opinion, based on the metrics, the better and more valuable pitcher. Um, Nola has the edge in, be- in baseball reference war, um, but it's hard to argue at this point, given what I've just told you, that Nola should have the edge over either DeGrom or Scherzer, given that they have the advantage in every every other category I've mentioned. Um So, you know, there's a lot of talk right now. Can DeGrom actually pull it off? I think he has a chance. Maybe that's me being a little bit optimistic, um, but I think he has a shot to do it. Um, I think the Mets do have to get him to 10 wins. If they can do that, I think that he has a shot. Um, But single-digit wins, even though, you know, most of the audience of this podcast, including myself, um, don't think that pitcher wins should really matter at all. The reality is they do matter at least a little bit to um, the Cy Young voters. Um, And it's important to keep in mind, too, that NOLA has pitched for a team that is competing for a division title. Um, And up until recently, I don't know, one could argue that the national season is over. One could argue it's not quite over yet. But Scherzer was also pitching for, you know, the division win. um, And DeGrom has not been pitching in, you know, high leverage situations. And those are taken into account when it comes to, you know, uh, Cy Young voting sometimes. Um, so, you know, who knows, um, but I think that statistically, DeGrom's been the best pitcher in the National League, and I think it's hard to argue otherwise, um, I don't know, but we'll see, um, crossing our fingers that DeGrom continues to pitch well, and that maybe the Mets will rattle off a few more wins for him to get to the magical double digits, and maybe he'll have a shot. Um, let's move on to Brandon Nimmo, um, so... First and foremost, we got to talk about that night he had last night. Um, Five for five. He got on base six times, uh, including that hit-by-pitch. And he was a home run short of the cycle. He had a double, a single, and a triple. Um, I was at the game last night and it was incredibly fun all around. But Nimmo's night was really special to see in person. It was really awesome. Um he was obviously smiling the whole time. <laughs> um and Nimmo went on to say later, nights like these you kind of just want to bottle up and live in them forever because it's pretty special. So that was awesome. Um and over the last two weeks, um, he's been pretty hot with the bat, um, including last night. So he, over the last two weeks, he's slashing three sixty four, four sixty two, seven fifty, with a two twenty two WRC plus. So on fire. Uh, our friend Brandon Nemo. Um, in the 52-plate appearances he's had in the past two weeks, he's had 16 hits, five of those singles, seven doubles, two triples, and two home runs, 13 runs scored, eight RBIs, seven walks, and one stolen base. So maybe, finally, he's breaking out of his little um, second-half slump for good. Um, that'd be great. Um on the season, he has an impressive 263, 387, 503 slash line with a 145 WRC plus, which is first among NL outfielders. Um, in his 411 plate appearances this year, he has 90 hits, so he has a pretty good shot to get w- well over 100 hits this season. Um, he has 65 runs scored, 39 RBIs out of mostly out of the leadoff spot, and eight stolen bases. Um, he has 3.3 FanGraphs WAR, which is fifth among NL outfielders, and he hit. Also has 3.3 baseball reference bar, um, so Nimo finally bouncing back after a rough stretch um, last night. Maybe was proof positive that he's back for good. Hopefully, um, and Degrom actually rattled off a couple of wins in a row. So it's a positive um, week for the Degrometer and the Mnemometer. um I will be back uh, next week with another installment, and hopefully we'll keep the good times rolling.
0: that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Please head on over to AmazingAvenue.com where you can read the work of our podcast contributors and many others. We've got lots of good stuff going on, so check that out. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AmazingAvenue. You can go to BlogTalkRadio.com and get this show directly from that host, or you can grab it from Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice. If you are using Apple Podcasts, which we recommend you do. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Those things help us quite a bit. And uh, thank you in advance. You can uh, email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. That email address is still active for a little while longer. I promise we're coming up with a new email address. We uh, will get to it again. I promise. And uh, until next time, you can follow you, uh, the contributors for this show on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Allison is at PhD, And Jack, in his first ever appearance, Uh, He did great, by the way, didn't he? I think he did great. Uh, He is at J F McClooney. J-F-M-C-L-O-O-N-E-Y. And so the next time we talk to you guys, hopefully the Mets will have, uh, as Jack and I talked about, had great offensive games for young players, great starting pitching performances, and a lot of blown losses from the bullpen. So that sweet, sweet draft pick can come home to us. And so until next time, let's go Mets.